Megadunery, the podcast where we dissect and review the TV show Schmigadoon. I'm your host, Derek Byers, and joining me from Alabama is my best friend and co-host, Lynn. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Hi. How are ya? Good, good. Yeah. Well, I'm good too, child, but let me tell you something, okay? This week has been like the COVID scare fest. Mm. Like, I have not been so terrified of having caught COVID since the first time I was exposed to it and had to go take a test back in, like, April of 2020. So, like, like a couple people at my job tested positive and somebody from my church that, like, I'm on the worship team with. So, we're obviously together mm-hmm. in rehearsal. Like, they all, like, all three of them test positive and there were three things that went through my mind. The first thought was, Oh no, like if, cause I had to get my second dose of the vaccine yesterday. So my first thought was, Oh, I'm not going to know I have it. I'm going to go get this shot. And then it's going to like skyrocket symptoms because my immune system has been compromised from both the vaccine and the actual virus. And then my second thought was, um, I'm, I'm very like much of a workaholic at my job. And I like, I was like, oh my gosh, like if I have to quarantine for 10 days, I'm going to be so far behind. Like I can't get that far behind. So I started stressing out about that. And then third and probably most importantly is I'm supposed to go to Disney world at the end of this week. And if I get sick, I cannot go. Um, The first time, I mean, obviously I went and got tested as soon as I found out and it was negative and then um, got tested again because I was just paranoid you know, a couple days later, that was negative. And now, you know, I'm kind of, now that I've gotten the shot and I had zero symptoms, I'm kind of like, okay, maybe I'm good because I really do feel like if, if I had it and that symptoms just weren't showing yet, the shot would have made them show. Um, plus it's past what the considered incubation period is for all of the exposures. So I feel like I'm good and I'm in the clear, but it is, so crazy how bad this new like variant is getting and i'm oh, just no, it ready is. It is crazy. for us to be past it and and not to make you more paranoid but uh when i did have my shot my symptoms didn't show up till a month later so it does ha- it does they do come later <laughs> well i i had i'll say this no i'll say this the first time i got the shot like my first round i was so hoarse like i, I had to sing mm-hmm. the next morning and like could not get through the services because I was just like, my, my voice is gone. Like I was so tired. My voice went this morning. I had a little bit of a headache, but then I've had, I took some time on, I've had nothing else. Um, I am, you know, just for the safety of everybody else I'm supposed to be on a plane with, I am going to go test again in a couple of days just to, I don't want to be spreading nothing, you know, no, yeah. but also Lord, please protect me in the name of Jesus, because <laughs> I have to go see Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes, you love your Life you is James good. Both. I know, but this time he's not going. It's a girl's trip. So oh, well. be fun. <laughs> that does sound like fun. And you're right, well. nice and comfy. It looks like. <laughs> yes, only today. Uh, so let's get into the episode. What were your before we go into the recap? What were your overall thoughts? How did you feel okay. about the episode? Okay, so I feel like episode five, tribulation. It like doubles down on this musical theater parody, but it also kind of like increases the stakes a little bit. Like we'll see that. Like what I mean by that as we go through it, but. <laughs> I feel like everything in this episode is tied so closely to the shows that it's trying to like mimic and like the shows that it's been getting its ideas from that it, it, it left like very little room for the characters to develop their Mm -hmm. own personal motivations. And I think that's 
the one thing overall from start to finish in this series that has made it a frustrating show. I mean, it's entertaining. Schmigadoon is, in, it's, it's been so entertaining, but it's frustrating because it has so much potential. The performers are like A-list performers and it's like this beautiful idea of what they want to do, but felt like it was following up the highs from last week's episode suddenly with with a lot of little moments that didn't quite gel together the way that I wanted them to like even with the introduction of the countess like I almost felt like there was just something just out of place and off with this I don't I don't know you said this was your you liked this episode better than last week I still think last week was the series like the best episode of the series so far yeah, no, I did. I, I, yeah, I had my problems with 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 last week's episode, and well, and some of those similar problems are kind of still there. In that, again, I think they're they it's too many references. They're trying to do too many things at once. Right, there's a like reason why these musicals had one one female lead, and like there's one Laurie and one Curly, and then these auxiliary characters around them, not. A Lori and a Curry and a Marion Peru and like five leads and five, the, you know, and right. then because like you bring in Jane Krakowski this late, whereas I enjoyed seeing her, it's like I would have preferred this like episode three. Well, and it's also kind of like uh, I feel like they've opened so many potential storylines that with next week being the series finale, it's either going to have to be a two hour long series finale or we're all going to be left like. What was the point of this? You know, well, that's what I was saying last week was that there's no way they've opened up so many because they wanted to get so many references and they've opened so many um, they've opened so many possibilities that there's no way they can wrap this up in a satisfying way, right? And unless I think, there's another season to come, right? And I think that this episode was the episode that made all of that click for me. Hmm. Was this one because I was just like, okay, that was a all right, all right, and we'll. We'll we'll get into into that as we go. Oh, on. and your friend you were looking for last week that we were questioning, he's back. Danny I know Danny Bailey. And for like a split second and his <laughs> his comeback. I get why they did it. Like I understood what the purpose was, but also it was unnecessary. <laughs> Yes, it's like it seems like there's like some characters like that where it's like it's too far, but the references are too far between, and then some other characters there's too many references. Like they oh. they haven't found the sweet spot. Yeah, because I almost forgot about Danny Bailey. Not gonna lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, let's jump into a good summary. Um, I have my notes this time, you guys. I was able to to get all of my long notes in for you. Um, so this week. Summary. Um, in a flashback, Josh is passed over for a fellowship. Melissa comforts him, but he mocks her for a misspoken cliche, but apologizes later that night. Back in Schmigadoon, Mildred Layton incites a moral panic against the strangers and announces her candidacy for mayor. Doc Lopez's glamorous fiance, Countess Gabrielle von Vlerkum, returns unexpectedly from the city. Melissa expects the Countess to graciously step aside, as in the sound of music, but instead she takes Melissa for a drive and abandons Melissa at gunpoint. Melissa discovers that the symbolic heart she thought Josh had been that Josh had lost had been in her own backpack all along. Then she dismisses a dream ballet in its opening moments. Emma confides in Josh that she is Carson's mother, which we all suspected. Like we thought that's what it was going to be. And her parents disowned her for becoming pregnant out of wedlock. Carson overhears and runs off. Josh, Josh searches for him in the woods where Danny ambushes Josh and knocks him on the ground. Where then Josh finds the symbolic cart that Melissa threw across the lake. Um, so that's the other thing it's like i'm like and we'll get into it later but we all expected her to be carson's mother you know like some of it is just yeah too like like well and it's well and it's 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 well for me seeing that i think that's why i liked it because for instance for me that's something i have always thought about the music man of even to the fact where I, he might have with somebody who had written it originally like that and then Broadway producers, you know how things go. It's like, oh, we can't have an unwed mother on Broadway in the in 19... You know, I could see that in the 60s. 
uh, when that show was on Broadway originally. And so for me, it was kind of like, oh, somebody else is thinking the same thing about Music Man. So that was, it was, I found it very interesting. I knew it was coming, like obviously mm-hmm. the way they've written it down. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of one of those things, it's kind of one of those unspoken things about that musical that, you know, other a lot of people that know it very well kind of assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that it's the same story, yeah. Correct. Well, in, well, in that, that they assume that Winthrop is, is Marion's, um, son, not the widow Peru, uh, because the widow Peru is like in her sixties and Winthrop no is like sense. eight. Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense at all. Um, okay, well, let's get down to it. So the first scene is per usual. It's back pre-Schmigadoon days. Um, Josh has just um, been told that they're going to go with somebody else for a fellowship position. And Melissa's trying to comfort him. And where their argument happens is um, over the the cliche, it's a dog eat dog world. So Melissa says doggy doggy or what is it? Doggy dog. Doggy dog. Like a doggy dog. Like she thinks that the cliche is saying, you know, sometimes you have to be the dog of a dog because Mm -hmm. why would it be dog eat dog world? Dogs don't eat dogs. But you know me. I had to look it up. Even though I knew it was going to be a dog-eat-dog world. Yeah. I still looked it up. Josh is right. Um, and Also, the- correction for her, it would be a doggy's dog if, if, her, if the way she explained yeah, it, it would, it would be like a doggy S. dog. Yeah, a doggy's dog. <laughs> but uh, it's a phrase that's used to describe a situation in which people will do anything to be successful, even if they even if what they do harms other people. So it's a dog-eat-dog world out there like I'm gonna do whatever it takes um but Josh is kind of poking fun at her for it makes her mad she goes back home and later that night he comes home and he apologizes and all is good and one thing I want to say about this scene that I noticed for the first time because we've had a lot of scenes with them like in their bedroom the photos on the wall like over their bed you know most of the time when a couple has their room, like James and I, it wouldn't be two pictures unless it was like one of those weird, like two pictures that like half Mm -hmm. a quote is in one, like they go together to form one thing. Um, or it would just be one big picture. Like that's our space. Um, there are, are obviously rooms in our house that like, he has a man cave, nothing in his man cave is what I would pick out. And our guest bedroom is entirely Marilyn Monroe. That was my yeah. thing. So, but our bedroom is our space and it's clearly not their space. Like it's not something they've done together. His side of the bed has a Jersey hanging up and her side of the bed has a portrait of like a bouquet so polar opposite and it's almost like it gives us this little insight of how they haven't really meshed their worlds together yet they're mm-hmm. they were they were coexisting but not really yeah almost more as if they were roommates versus you know in a relationship Loverish, yeah and i it, and it also is also juxtaposed against two this is the second time you know, it's a, at least in these like pre times where we've seen him kind of openly in conversation say "I love you" mm-hmm. outwardly, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. It's almost like we've watched even in it's almost well, it is probably intentional in the way they've written the arc of these first scenes of you're seeing almost Josh kind of fall in love, even the way they've kind of planned out these scenes. He's saying "I love you" more openly as we go through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that she was love from day one and he was like a slow burn. Like she was mm-hmm. instant fire and he was a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Well, and everything he's going through too in Shmigadoon is also making him realize too how much he loves her. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Shmigadoon, back there we find Melissa and Doc Lopez. Um, He's, he's coming in. She's taking her shoes off, which I wrote down, like, in my notes. I put, no shoes is a big deal, question mark, because he, he kind of says, like, wow, you're such a free spirit. Like, to him, it is so intriguing that a woman would remove her shoes or that any really anyone would remove their shoes because he seems so, like, 
like it's unnatural for him to remove his shoes when he joins her, but they're, they're sitting on the couch and they're, they're having this little conversation, basically like talking about the things that they find interesting about the other person, like the reasons why they're falling in love. And, um, they go into talking about their three worst moments of the day. And I thought that was interesting because when you really love someone, why would you talk about the bad parts, you know, like, and Melissa, like at the wedding. Yeah. Like at the the wedding, Mm -hmm. what you talk about is, is your, your best moments, you know, but anyways, um, and it leads Melissa to singing a reprise of suddenly from the last episode. So she's now head over heels in love. So she thinks with doc Lopez, but there was one line in that song I wanted to bring up and it's, She's talking about her emotions. And if she says, if they're real, then what am I to do? Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, it kind of sounds like she's fantasizing, obviously, but she's she's fantasizing about Doc Lopez. But at the same time, her heart is still wishing for Josh and the real mm-hmm. world and the life that they created together. It's like her, the musical half of her brain is kind of trying to take over from like what she knows is real life. Like she's, she's no longer thinking as clearly. It's like she's morphing into the Schmigadoon version of Melissa instead of just Melissa. Correct. Which, which, which it gets, which is starting to begin to get to have, is this what's happened to all of the people that have like morphed into. So this is the thing where it's like, this could be very cool if they decide to take that approach kind of a yeah th- people have because then you could continue that cycle and then we know it's happening and then it becomes almost not a horror show but you know almost that kind of almost like midsummer and then the very 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 final well it's also kind of like um like uh what's that show once upon a time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know they've all forgotten who they are and then maybe it's like that and at the end we um you know, they all come back to their own. I don't know. Or maybe somehow Josh and Melissa will, I don't know, break the curse and they'll all realize who they were. It's kind of like WandaVision as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Oh, so they're, they're dancing around. She's living this fantasy musical life. And in comes... Yes, Jane Krakowski, who I love. (laughs) I love her too. Um, Just a few facts about her because we've done it for every person on the show so far. Jane um, Krakowski is best known, like in the TV world, for her starring role as Jenna Maroney in the NBC series 30 Rock which she received four Primetime Emmy Award nominations for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. Her other notable television roles include Elaine Vassell in the Fox legal comedy drama series Allie McBill and Jacqueline White in the Netflix comedy series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is a great show if you've never watched it. Um, Krakowski made her feature film debut as Cousin Vicki Johnson in the road comedy National Lampoon's Vacation which was followed by roles in the Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas, Ice Age, Alfie, Open Season, Pixels, and the Willoughbys. Um, but she regularly performs on the stage. She is a Tony Award winning actress for Best Featured Actress in a Musical for her performance in the Broadway revival of Nine in 2003, as well as Um, receiving Tony Award nominations for Grand Hotel, and She Loves Me. Um, And she has received the Lawrence Oliver Award for Best Actress in a Musical for her performance in the West End revival of Guys and Dolls. Incredible. Incredible, incredible, wonderful Broadway person. If you, I think you can find, there's a video of She Loves Me. Go watch that. It's wonderful. Um yeah, she's just great. And you can see it even by the, the short amount of time she's on screen uh, mm-hmm. throughout all of this, that it is wonderful. It's been a long time since I've seen The Sound of Music, so I had almost forgotten about that part of it until um, 
until this part came in. And I love later, too, the line uh, when they go on the tr- drive of, like, this continual hinting at that she's just a Nazi in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I love her. And one of the reasons why I love her for this this role in particular is we have amazing comedic actors in this series. We have amazing Broadway performers in this series. And she's not that none of none of the ones we've already mentioned are like good at marrying the two. But if there's anyone who's like phenomenal at marrying the two, like the world of musical theater and the world of um, comedy, it's it's her like she's so great. And because I think, yeah, like, yeah, she's she's a brilliant she's really is truly a brilliant comedian and it's hard to find you know, people who can sing and dance as well as she does. And we see a little bit of, a little bit of her dancing talent uh, yeah. later on in this, the episode. Uh, and bring, because comedic timing is no joke. And she's, she's, you know, very, you know, there's some people are comedic unintentionally, but she's very comedic intentionally. Intentionally, right. Um, and you see that. You see that with when she chooses to make different facial expressions or her, like her body movement, her everything she does is 100% thought about before she does it. But she she comes in and um, she finds Mel and the doc dancing. And it turns out that <laughs> the doc is engaged to the countess. Um, and she's she is like you mentioned, she's a direct parallel to Baroness Elsa Schrader from The Sound of Music. Um, and the person that points that out is Melissa. Melissa's like, oh, I know this story. I know this musical a little too well. And basically, you know, you're going to step aside for me and blah, blah, blah. And she says, um, there were two things that she said that stuck out to me. One was that she's not happy that her fiance is once again, kissing the help. Hmm. And then the other one is she keeps asking, do I know you? And I think the reason why they stood out for me, especially the first one, like I'm going to point it out a couple more times this episode, there were a lot of little hints that this has happened before that outsiders have come in and have fallen in love with people like have tried to find love with, with people who are from the town. Um, it hints at it really hard, like two or three times. And this is, to me, this is one of them. Um, and then her saying like, do I know you? Like, I know the joke is supposed to be like, because Melissa knows all these facts about her character from having seen sound of music. Correct. But at the same time, I feel like she's like, no, really though. Do I know you? Cause I mean, we'll see later on that the countess clearly, knows i think she knows a lot more than we were able to see in her five minutes of correct because this is the second this is the second person who she seems more similarly in line in terms of like development of her character with like doc lopez and danny bailey have a simpleness about them that imitate and the countess don't yeah 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 you know, there's something else going on there, which makes me wonder, maybe are, you know, maybe are they freshly been pulled into the world, you know, because um, that, that is, it, it just see, it seems odd in a way that's intentionally there, you know, mm-hmm. 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 or at least I hope so. Yeah, it's got, there has to be more to it. Um, And then long story short, after you know, talking to Melissa, she invites Melissa for a drive. She basically tells Melissa, we've got to get to know each other better. Let's go for a drive tomorrow. Melissa agrees. She doesn't suspect anything. Um, And then we flip over to a picnic and it's Carson. He's naming off different words that obviously someone with a lisp would stutter on um, to Emma and Josh. And then he he gets done and the shoes him away so they can have like a private conversation. And Josh is explaining to her like how he wants to get back to New York, but, and she's trying to convince him not to. And the thing that she said, which goes back to what I just said, like this has had to happen before is Emma says, 
I've had a hard time navigating the ins and outs of handyman season before. Mm -hmm. So has she had other handymen? Because what's handyman season? You know? Yeah, no, that line also stuck out to me as another one of those lines where it's like, yes, I can. it could just be the way it was written, but also it does seem a little odd. Because it's also in combination with how her character feels different from the rest. Yes. And and the placement, the timing of it is weird because she's literally saying that as she's begging him not to go back. Yes. As if she as if that's what normally happens. This is the point yeah. of the show. Yeah. Where they usually leave to go back. Like, oh, no, you can't go back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to explain to her that's what he loves about New York. And um, so she... They, the two kiss, and of course Carson does what he does. My sister kiss, you know, Josh Skinner. My sister, my my sister kiss Mr. Skinner, and you know she lets him know, hey, that's going to be sentences when we get back. And she starts to poke fun at his lisp, and you know she tells Josh like it's okay, like I had one, and and so we we don't ignore it. And Josh is, you can tell he's actually admired by mm-hmm. her form of raising Carson. And he says, it must be tough being a parent and a sister. And as soon as that comes out of his mouth, imitate is like, well, that's none of your business. And she just shuts down and it like sets her off and they are out like picnics over. Thank you so much. We're done here. Which is kind of what we expected would happen. Yeah, she she I mean, yeah, I mean, which which makes sense again. Yeah, obviously it's leading up towards the big reveal or not really that big of a reveal, but her, that Carson is her son. Um, but yeah, it, it was, that was an interesting scene. It was definitely, I, I, her acting was, was great in that. I loved the way this kind of, you know, this message that was kind of woven in there of, you know, we don't ignore that, that he has the disability. We all kind of make fun of it. And, uh, but it's not like in a, in a, bullying kind of a way it's it's in a you know we recognize it but it's and it's something that black people have been doing for years of yes we recognize the pain but in order to get to the pain we laugh at it yeah yeah i feel like um that's also like the way i don't i don't have children of my own you know but like i feel like it's very similar to if I have my godsons over and they're running wild, um, I've been doing it since Bentley, the oldest, who's seven now, was probably like two years old. You know, if if I if he falls down and gets hurt and I freak out, he's freaking out. You know, so I've I've kind of taught them like when they're with me and they fall, they start crying. I'm like, no, 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 you gotta shake it off, shake it off, and we start like dancing and laughing, and suddenly they've forgotten that they've. Mm-hmm. you know, hit their head on the ground or scrape their knee. It's just, it's just fun and games, you know, I don't know, but I feel like, I feel like this, this whole scene was kind of like, saw that coming, saw that coming with the exception of the whole handyman thing, because I'm like, girl, you are supposed to be someone who don't need any man, but you've had other handymen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you like to get a little handy on the side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, in another area of town, we um, catch up with Mildred and her gang, who they are clearly up to something. She is basically giving the sign for, I don't know, like, would you call it her posse or her minions? I'm gonna yes, call her this minions. like real cool. This is so obvious, like stealth, quote unquote, mission they were trying to pull off. I know. And, <laughs> and she's like giving her the signs to basically dump peanut shells. And it kicks off this this whole song, which is the title song for this episode, Tribulation. And it's uh, um, basically a solo where Mil- Mildred Layton channels the music man's you got trouble in order to condemn the outsiders who have come to Schmigadoon and prop up her own campaign for mayor. And about this song, um, you know, I've been liking the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a lot of interviews with Paul, the writer. Um, and he said that 
they had Kristen's picture up in the writer's room as Mildred Layton. Like they had a photo of Mildred Layton so that the whole part was written with her in mind. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that, he says, I ended up handing Chenoweth a big challenge. As she pointed out to me, that's not an easy song. It was 18 pages, one shot, no rhymes, but she's a person who loves a challenge and she took it on and did an amazing job. And they basically said that like, they purposely threw in like, like nonsense terms in order to add to the wordplay and fill the song. So like, like, cause you've got trouble. Yeah, has a lot of that in there. I will say, yes, it was that was not an easy song at all. Granted, you've got troubles written a little bit better. It's a little easy. It's a little easier to say. It makes a little more sense. There were some things in the song she was saying. I was like, what? That doesn't make. Like, there's there's one thing about because you've got trouble does in a way that it sounds like it's the vernacular of the town, where sometimes it just sounds like she was saying crazy shit for no reason. Um, yeah, like but... <laughs> what is what is jiggery pokery? Yeah, yeah, and because it, it's like, for instance, like you know, like uh, you know, one of the things rapping is this reference in the song, and you got trouble. It's like it's um, is your child reading from Cat and Willie's Whiz Bang Book of Jokes or something like that? And it's like, okay, that makes sense. That sounds like a book from the time. We get what that is even today. But, but what is like whatever you just said? I don't remember. Jiggery pokery and earwigs, yeah. you know. And also, I believe you've got trouble. <clears throat> does rhyme in certain places. It does. So. There's there's zero there's zero continuity in terms of rhymes in this song. Yeah, and, and rhyming and, does usually make it a little bit better or a little bit easier. Yes, and one of the one of the writing assistants basically said that the whole point was to just put as many like as much lingo into the song as possible. And when I read that, I was like, well, good job. Cause that's what you accomplished that. I don't know if it was the right thing to accomplish, but you accomplished it. <laughs> but there were a couple of things within the song um, that I wanted to talk on. One was back to what I was saying before. There's a lot of nods that this is not the first time she says, I have no problems with outsiders. The ones that dress and talk and act like us. Once again, are you telling us that this has happened before? And the difference is that it's taking longer for Josh and Melissa to just kind of morph into the role. Like there, there's something mm. there. And she, when she says it, she grabs two girls and I'm almost like, hmm, were they once outsiders that are just now Correct. part of Or was the- she once an outsider that, you know, more Well, she it. says that her great granddaddy or whoever built the land. Built the and town. also that was that was a lie the copy got with that line too of like they can't find us here. Yeah, I was like, "Uh-huh, uh-huh. what were you running from?" Huh? Yes. What were they running yes. from? Yes. <laughs> and then the other the other thing I want to say it was the, a word she said it was miss it was at the end you know she's like we've got strife and tribulation and we probably have miscegenation I was like what is that so I, I had to look it up me but basically it is the interbreeding of people considered to be of racial like different racial types so, like, so leading back to so that first leading comment. back to the first comment of her having an issue of their race. Basically, everybody, Mildred is the town Karen. <laughs> Essentially. And is the yeah, the mothers, the mothers for Karen's of the future. Yeah, right. That's what they that's what their group should be. And I also thought it was weird. I don't know if this was like a little nod to her days in um Wicked or not, but she danced with the broom at the end. Maybe that could have been an offhanded I, kind of I like, kept trying to figure out what the broom was for. And that was the only thing I could think of was like, oh, you know, she's she's the villain, the witch. She's, she's the like, witch now I get to be the wicked witch. Yeah, something like that. So I don't know. And this whole time she's singing, she's basically declaring that like the town needs new leadership. As she's saying this, the poor mayor is standing right there. He's witnessing it all. And he doesn't say anything, which, you know, I mean, what, what can he say? But yeah. he's um, he's witnessing it all. And it ends just like you would expect. Maybe not even just like a musical, like a stage musical, but like a movie musical where you have like 
because there are things that happen in musical theater on the stage where it's like different big endings like some some endings like for instance in in drowsy chaperone the the ending is a whole plane coming out you know like Uh there are surprise effects but when you see a like a musical done on stage versus on big screen obviously in the big screen they can do things that you can't do on stage um for instance um hairspray um in the movie they have that song the song new girl in town which new girl in town is not in the broadway version of um hairspray it was written for that but they weren't able to fit it in when it came time to like create the final production so they scratched that and when they made the movie because they're able to do like the whole easy transition of it being like the white group girls singing it mm-hmm. and then the black girls singing it. And, and they're able to do this whole like mirage of like what you're hearing isn't what you're seeing kind of a thing. It worked. So they were able to add that back in for the actual like movie production of it because it, it just you're able to do that. And so when I saw the end, I thought, Oh, totally musical theater, like all the big banners and the balloons and everything falling. And then I thought, well, unless this were the end of the first act or the finale of the show, which it wouldn't be the finale of the show. Cause it's yeah. no end. Um, maybe that wouldn't happen, but that could definitely happen more easily on, you know, all the balloons falling and everything from the, well, yeah. this, this, style of production but it basically just reminds you that this is all a production <laughs> well yeah well and thinking about too it's like well and you saying that this you know leading towards this felt like the end of act one it's like yeah it feels like we're just now like when you think about the full story with all of the different like references they try to make all the different storylines going on we really are kind of like getting to the end of act one yeah but funnily enough because you've got trouble is like song number four yeah, eh. like song number four, three or four in the show in Music Man. It's really early on, so it's like there. I wish, th- and to be honest, it's probably just they're referencing things as they want to for the story, not necessarily also referencing the structure of the stories they're referencing. Right. And so, however, I do wish they had thought about some of that too because it those shows are structured a certain way for a reason well they're structured to give us an ending a middle and an end and Mm -hmm. so far in schmigadoon it's a whole lot of beginnings and a few correct (laughs) i don't see there being any end (laughs) yes it's like yeah how do we get to an end of this in one in one 30 minute episode even an hour episode i that's what i mean it's gonna have they are going to have to make in order for me to feel like i have been satisfied the finale next week is going to have to be like two hours. And I mean, or it's going to have to be something where it devolves and we find out that people just morph it. Like it has to be some weird thing where it's takes it way off, you know, like something else crazy has been even going on. still. I don't think I'd be satisfied. <laughs> no, I'm because at the end of the day, like if that, because if that's the case, I want to know their stories pre Schmigadoon. I want to know how all of them that morphed in there and got in well, there. Maybe I'm that's gonna, season two. Maybe that is. I, I hope so because season well, one. If not, then they need to hire us to write the show. We'll write season two. <laughs> hey, Apple. We know Derek, you're listening. It's Derek going on Apple and, Podcast. And and we have great ideas. So hit us up. We're ready. <laughs> um. Well, back at the schoolhouse, Carson is asked to write, I will not spy 500 times. And he's, you know, upset about it. And Josh quickly shows him um, how you can tie two pencils together and and write it. And he's he's doing this to be helpful. He's also doing it to see if he can get answers from Carson as to what upset mm-hmm. Emma. But um, basically, Josh helps him realize that sometimes you can bend the rules without breaking them as in terms of like there's a loophole. So she never said that he can't tie two pencils together and write faster. So technically, it's it's not cheating. Um, And I thought that teaching him that was was interesting, not because 
it's like out of character, but also I just, I keep thinking like, okay, so what's the loophole to, to this whole thing that they're in? You know, where somewhere yeah. there's a loophole. Well, and the way the way they've written this show too, they wouldn't have that moment was probably to bring up to put in your mind that there's gonna be some loophole at some point. It was just to set up loopholes. Mm. Yeah, maybe, probably. Well that that's really all that happens there. And then we're in the car with um Melissa and the Countess who are enjoying their ride together and Melissa's still on this rant about you know thank you i know this must be weird and blah 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 and mm-hmm. it kicks she off thinks she knows exactly what's going what's on. gonna happen and it kicks off the song i always always never get my man and i listen every time somebody sings their song i'm like no that would be me <laughs> and like i said that so hardcore about mildred and then i'm like no like mildred i i don't think i would play a good mildred and then i'm like oh emma like i love that song but anybody, if you ever knew me in person, you would see Jane, you would see her song and be like, no, that like the second she started singing and doing all her dancing, I was like, me, me, any, any excuse to be kind of sexy. I mean, well, and that was just you walking like through high school, just like in the cafeteria, just like every day casually. Not even just like for musical number purposes, just like everybody around here needs to know. Don't nobody come over here. <laughs> and everybody knew not to mess with Lena her man because then mm, she cut a bit. And I think I think people know that know that now. Like mm-hmm. um James always jokes around that like as much as you know, it's cute that I'm like, uh, 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 he's mine. It's also like sometimes he's scared because he he not like he fears for the other people involved. Um, oh, yeah, this this is me. I'm very protective over what is mine. Um, but basically, in musical romances between young independent a young independent woman and an older man who's set in his ways, there's often another older woman who has to step aside without a song. And I think that that's where Melissa is kind of like thrown off. Like she even says, "Oh, oh, wait! Like you, you get a song, but you're not really that important of a character." Like, mm-hmm. and that was for me where I was like, "Oh, this is getting interesting." Because I was nervous that she wasn't gonna do much. And Kowski would not have signed a contract in this show in a musical without having a song. Let's be let's be real. <laughs> I knew it was gonna happen. Well, she's. She, like we said before, she's styled like the Sound of Music's Baroness Schrader, um, subject of many, like, like she's she's just heavily implied to be a Nazi. Um, but here, like we said, the Duchess actually gets her own solo. And so kind of like you said, um, another thing from the writers of the show um, is there was a point where we got Jane cast on the show and we said, well, we have to have her sing a song. Um, and Allison Silverman, who was the primary writer on this episode, um, had already written a scene where the Duchess basically just laments all the other men who have had who have left her for help. And they basically just took the words that were written for her to speak and turned it into a song. And they gave it this cosmopolitan kind of vibe. Um, And they said the reason why they did that is because her character is meant to be a little bit more urban. And so this was their chance for a Cole Porter song. And if you don't know who Cole Porter is, um, he's an American composer and songwriter. And a lot of his songs are like standard for their wittiness and their urban lyrics. And many, many of his scores have found success on Broadway, but um, they were, they were kind of shooting for that witty cleverness and that just like cosmopolitan feel. And I just got to say this. Did you notice that her panties were the exact same mm-hmm. 
fabric. Oh yeah, because they knew seat. they were going to show. They knew they were going to show. I know, and it's very musical theater. That's so listen, very musical theater. It's so musical theater. But this is where the other way, like they were making her her more modern, was in that time. You would expect a lady's bloomers to be a, not be low cut. Oh yeah, you especially for like yeah, no, it was scandalous to show too much ankle. Well, yeah, and in her like like not only her outfit, like the cut in her dress, which was hip high, but her panties, like when she moved in certain parts, you could see where like they were like low riders. Like yeah. they were literally like so low, like you could see flesh over them. They weren't they weren't trying to be modest about it. It was like they took yeah. the normal underwear that she would wear on a daily basis and just <laughs> cover it with the same fabric. Yeah. Um, but I I loved that little little detail and i loved her song like you said we got to see a little bit of her dancing not much but i loved all the little details i loved how when she hopped in the back seat and she was dancing and you know and the car was driving with nobody there yeah because it was like obviously it's similar to like a musical theater too where it's like obviously and it's great for production because it's much easier to shoot a car in front of a green screen or in front of a video wall with yeah. the wall moving. And that's how it would happen on stage, too. So it's just kind of like it's a cheeky and it's also easier to film. Mm-hmm. It's like that very cheeky. Where it's like, how's the car driving? It's like, well, you're not really driving. It's just the thing moving behind you. Right. 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 And um, also and- what you said about the like how they wrote the song there's been a number of like you know famous musical theater songs that have written like that where they took the scene and turned it into a song and they used work so well for instance like one of the most well-known ones is i am what i am from lacage was a monologue mm-hmm. and then jerry herman read the monologue and was like no no this is a song yeah yeah I- it was born well i'm happy that they gave her something because in terms of vocals She's been one of the stronger ones, you know, so far. Everything about her, her tone, her, like, she inflicts her voices in places where, like, most people wouldn't necessarily just choose to make that choice. And she chooses to make, make them, like, she, she makes musical choices that are really um, small, but they make such a huge difference in the overall Mm-hmm. production of the song but i loved it and then she sits back down she tosses uh well she pulls a gun she pulls she pulls a gun on mel and mel's like is that stainless still which is something we didn't mention before but apparently in this storyline the countess is the inventor of stainless still. still and so she tells mel like don't sweet talk me and basically she lets mel know like the difference in every other time the story has played out and now is that she's not gonna have it so um she kicks her she, she kicks her out and i i feel like um i feel like one thing though is that um she she kind of hints once again that there have been other outsiders you know mm-hmm. and that she's removed them from the equation and that's why i said earlier there is something more to the countess we don't see her anymore this episode once mel gets kicked out of the car and she drives off and mel's just in the middle of nowhere but there's there's something else because what do you mean that you've basically removed them all from the situation? Yeah, because it's like if there have been these so many women and that means Hector's been through or, or what's his name? His Doc Lopez. Jorge. Uh, his, his Jorge, not Hector. Jorge has been through like a lot of a lot of women. Right. Right. Or is this, or is this, or is she more of a like a, a what's her face from Adam's Family Values, uh, like a Debbie, where she goes and marries the man and gets the rid of them? I don't know because I'm on, I, you know, also like Josh has, you know, back to the scene with Josh and Emma, where Emma says, you know, the thing about the handyman season. It's almost like a, is it the same show on repeat and just a new couple every time? Mm-hmm. And so Doc Lopez is always the one to fall in love with whatever girl arrives to town and imitate always 
creates a handyman out of whatever guy just wanders into town. And so the countess just always shows up to kind of get the, get the story ended, you know, like her sole purpose is to be like, okay, girlfriend, like you can't be here anymore. You got to get out, you know? And I don't know. Like I have so many questions. I'm I'm like, why is it constructed like this? And again, back to like, why is it here? And, you know, what is the, is it just something, some phenomenon that's happening or somebody controlling it? It's almost like somebody's controlling it and like sending out different characters and pushing them along certain storylines to kind of move them along. Like there's a wizard behind the curtain somewhere. Correct. Correct. Well, once Mel has entered the vehicle, um, we head back over to the schoolhouse where Emma and Josh are having a conversation And Emma admits that she is Carson's mom. And she admits that her parents basically evicted her because she was too young, you know, and she had a a baby out of wedlock. And then she never told anybody the truth, including Carson, because she didn't want the ridicule ridicule that would come with it. Um, But Carson overhears it. So it's only a matter of time before the whole town knows because one, Carson has a big mouth and he's probably already told 12 people as he walked (laughs) past them. My sister is my mother. I don't know. He might be too hurt to say anything. Also notice that was the, this is the first time the line at the end of the scene is the first time we hear him speak without a lisp. He's like, I, you lied to me or something like that. And, um, and there's, there's no, it's, it's like, it's, much clearer than his talking the rest of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Josh and Emma decide, you know, they have to go look for him, but back um, in the middle of the countryside, wherever Melissa is. And that's the other thing. How big is Schmigadoon? Yeah. Well, cause it's like, it's like this weird, like they're in a car and this, they're in front of the screen, but then they're in a new place all of a sudden. I mean, I get it. It's like, you know, on stage, the set yeah. rolls on and then we're magically in a new place and that's how it works. Yeah. Like, I, like, it's so interesting. It'd be so interesting to know what's the experience though for Melissa and Josh, because it's like, I don't know. It just feels like there's just, there's a point of view that I'm missing of like, what's, or maybe this is just my brain, but like, it'd be so interesting to see what does it look like from the inside? Because we're only seeing the camera's point of view. We're not seeing what Josh and Melissa see everywhere. Right, right. And so it's like how, what, you know, you know, that because on a stage, yeah, it is just the set shifts from one to the other and you're magically in a new place. And there's been some weird things like at the end of the last episode or the end of the, yeah, suddenly where like when they were dancing, it was a split screen and they would cross over in front of it like you wouldn't a real set, but that doesn't happen in real life. And that would almost like freak me the fuck out i was like i'm how am i in another dimension all of a sudden kind right. of you know right how were how were they like in the beginning i think that josh was like he wasn't freaking out in terms of like what it was like where how was this going on he was more freaking out and just like a, i want to go home but melissa's never really stopped to ponder like she's mm-hmm. never really questioned it which is weird the whole thing is weird but and anyways we um, we find that mixed in with her stuff and in her backpack is the heart that she accused Josh of losing. And, um, it, you know, cuts back to episode one where Josh is trying to tell her, you know, check your backpack. And she's like, no, I gave it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she picks it up and she says, maybe I am the bad guy because in the, in the scene in the car, you know, it was implied like that she was the villain. And she mm-hmm. kept she kept denying it. Like, I'm not the villain. Yeah. In the Countess's story, she was the villain, yeah. She's the villain. And now she's like, wait, maybe I am. And I think in that moment, it was a little bit of like a realization in terms of like, maybe I don't listen enough. You know, like it wasn't just a maybe I'm a bad guy in this story. It was a maybe I'm partially like the she's finally i think starting to take ownership in her issues in her relationship. Well, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, maybe my shit stinks too. Right, right, right. And then they have um, the lack of a dream ballet. So um, (laughs) as Melissa is confronting the fact that she may be the bad guy, 
Um, she faces off <laughs> with a dance mirror version of herself and Schmigadoom seems like it's about to launch into um, dream ballet in the style of Oklahoma or carousel in which dancers often recap a musical's plot in a more abstract and emotional form. But Melissa actually shut this idea down and she was like, we're not going to have a dream ballet. They're annoying and they're stupid and they slow down the story kind of a thing. Well, yeah, which you might add to the dream ballet happens at the end of act one, which then goes back to, again, us feeling like this feels more like the end of act one than the end of act two. Right. Right. And I actually read um, somewhere that the original plan was to actually have her have do the do the I almost ballet. wish they had done that. And that, this was kind of funny. But like I was kind of like, oh, but I kind of want to like that would have been interesting to like see yeah. this like corny like dream ballet of everything that's happened so far. Right. And maybe even use it to give more clues about what's going on in Shmigadoon. Right, right. I felt the same way. They said that they cut it because um, it was just going to be too long. And I'm almost like, it's one of those things where like TV shows like this that are like Apple originals or even like Netflix originals, Disney originals that have come up on Disney Plus. I'm like, you guys really don't have a timeline, though. No. No, you don't. You know well, and, I mean? and every episode has been different lengths. Like some of the episodes have been twenty-two minutes. Some of the episodes have been thirty-four minutes. Right. So it's and like they haven't been. They haven't been like you know. Like I get it on television. You have to be consistent with commercials. You have all these slots yeah. to fit into. But you yeah. don't have that here. Right. Like they literally, if they wanted to have it in there, they could have had it in there. And so it almost mm -hmm. feels lazy on. Well, and I can also see it being we timing too in like filming and choreography and and paying people. So it's probably that too. Well, still. But you know, you know, if it's an Apple money, show. Apple's got the money. Okay. Oh, oh they definitely do. <laughs> they definitely do. They have my money too. <laughs> Well, <laughs> Melissa is there alone with, with the heart with her name. And then we end up in the woods. And Josh is looking for Carson, but is confronted by Danny. Hello, Danny Bailey. We missed you. <laughs> and really, this whole thing is just Danny telling Josh, like, I can't believe you stole my girl. And he punches him. And I was like, first of all, your girl brother you have been missing for two episodes now <laughs> almost yes. three because you were only in episode two for like maybe three minutes and then the rest of the episode you were gone so you haven't cared up until now about what's going on with yeah she's like she's already moved on to another man that's how behind you are <laughs> and so then I was like, is she, is he, clearly he has to be talking about Melissa. Like, there's no way he's talking about Emma. There's no way. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, is with the way this show has been written, it could be. Who knows? And then I'm like, is he talking about Emma? Because he did not care about Melissa as much as anyways. But when he when he punches Josh, the whole purpose of him punching Josh was so that Josh would fall and then in the woods find the rock with his name on it. Mm -hmm. And and it would force him to remember why they're here in the first place. And I kind of feel like this is the the show's way of saying like the two are getting back on the the right path to each other. Like this is going to start that. But also, I don't know how you start that and end that in, in one, one episode. episode. Yeah, because that's that's where this episode ends. This episode is over. And it, I, when it ended that way, I was so frustrated. I was like. <laughs> Oh yeah. Thanks, Apple. <laughs> Thank you. And actually, the second time I watched it, even though I'd already watched it all the way through once, I was like, "There's no way this is the end." I'm gonna. I missed something. I hit stop too too early, and then we get there, and I'm like, "Dang, that was really the end." <laughs> all right. Good job. Woohoo! Yeah. I uh, we'll see what the next episode is. It's the last episode for this season possible you know we'll see um i think it'll be interesting but it'll be interesting how they tie it up and if it's something further or if they're just going to kind of wrap it up in a very musical theater way but it's know. like you know so many signs have also led towards 
this still, again, still feels like just the end of Act 1. So then maybe there'll be another season at some point. I mean, come on. Tribulation was almost eight minutes long. You know, it was such a long number. And if you can give that much time to one number, you you can give a little bit more time to how these stories are going to round out. So I really hope Mm -hmm. that's what we notice in... I hope I hope they make the finale episode longer. Like if I log on and it's only 25 30 minutes. <sighs> oh, Schmigadoon, Schmigadoon, how you play with our hearts. Like I said, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, cuz I was also it's like for like musical theater's sake and for more shows like this to get done, I want it to be good. Oh, it's only 26 minutes. What is? The last episode. So you can see like the preview. Oh, Because it's coming my. this Friday. And it's when you click on it, it says it says 26 minutes. I'm already angry. <sighs> I'm already, oh. listen, I am already disappointed and we haven't even watched it. Like, and for all I know, it's going to be 26 minutes of just like pure gold, but... But even then, to try to wrap all of this up in 26 minutes? It's literally, Like, this you know last episode happen. was 25 minutes, and then the episode before that was, like, 34. See, the suddenly episode was 34 minutes, and it was, you know. And that was your favorite episode. So, yeah. see, see, even when they take a little bit longer to flesh some of these things out, it tends to be a little bit better. Well, I will say this. This is probably, this is my guess of what the finale is going to be. Now that the two of them have their rocks, they're going to run to each other. They're going to apologize. And they're going to get chased out of the town to the bridge. But they're going to go over the bridge and they're going to make it out. And that's it. Like the town's going to become a mob chasing them out. That is my. And we're going to know nothing about the other storylines. It's going to just be as if they never existed. That's that is my prediction. Do you have any predictions for the finale? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I second that. I mean, I feel like that's probably the reality of what they wrote. I mean, that seems like, and it was like, oh, it's just supposed to be this blimp in time and this kind of like section in time. It's like, and there are shows that do that. Like Company is that. Company kind of happens all in the like moment of him blowing out the birthday candles. Um, and it's a flashback of him kind of remembering uh all of his friends but if you notice in that show there's only four or five couples i think it's five couples and Mm -hmm. each couple gets a song or something that introduces kind of who they are and tells about who they are Mm -hmm. but it's like a full kind of beginning middle end you round out that story because it was a bunch of little plays that they put together um but each story has a beginning, middle, and end, all of the little ones. So when you get to the end, you are satisfied. You don't have all these open holes about, well, who are these other people? Yeah. I accidentally muted myself. But yeah, because I need to know who these... I I want to know what happens. There are so many stories that I want to know now. Like, you, okay, I want to know if Mildred becomes mayor. I want to know if if um, the mayor that we have now, I want to know if he and the reverend Get end together. up together. I want to know how Florence is healing because we haven't seen her since she flew out of the church. Well, um, yeah, because they've opened up all of these like moderns. Like that is a big one that's like a modern story. Well, Mildred being mayor and um, him coming out, those are two modern stories that they opened up in these other this like 1940s 1950s world and like oh that's what i want to see how these characters play out right right and that's kind of where where i'm like because it's gone beyond just referencing it it's it's brought it into today and like changed it and it's brought it it's brought so many i mean things that would just be unthinkable and it's almost like okay well if all of these people have these modern views there's no way they grew up in this society where it they've never had them they had to have come from somewhere from somewhere 
you know, like it's like, it's, it's a part of their life, but there's no way I'm not saying that it doesn't happen because we see it happen all the time where like people, um, struggle to come out to their friends and their family and they stay closeted for for so long of their life that you know and and just like the mayor they they get married and they start a traditional life thinking that that's what they're supposed to do and then you know 10 20 years into the marriage they finally have the courage to do it so I'm not going to say that that's not realistic but at the same time there's no way that that could happen Mildred could have this instinct of being in politics, even though that's not something, especially because she is so hardcore on the traditionalism of this town. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for someone who is like all about the, the traditions and the way of life and the, that time era, her running for like any political office, but especially to be town mayor is just. It's off. It's off. Well, it's same like same like what I said about when he came out. You know, number one, like you know, because it's they they set up very clearly, especially from episode one, that these group of people, like like even thinking about like the auction when they are like so set on oh, but like yes, but I want the pie. Like what I really want is the pie, and kind of set up the fact that oh, they live on musical theater logic, which isn't which is which is you know in these worlds the characters are you know the base level of character is you know most people are nice and everybody you know we talk in innuendos mm-hmm. and that's about it mm-hmm. but we you know it's very you know very pg right. uh, and the way that everybody thinks and so that per, you know based on those kind of musical theater world rules of that time the mayor would not come out in any scenario even if it, you know, it might be a wink, wink, nudge, nudge at the very end of the show, but would never just proclaim it out. Right, right, right. I agree. I don't. I don't think there's any at this point. There's no way they can do the finale in what did you say twenty twenty six minutes twenty six minutes that will make me feel like they closed it off in the way that they. Yeah, it's have. really only like twenty four minutes because the overture is always like a minute and a half. Yeah. Oh, that's so disappointing. Well, I hope everybody joins us again for the last episode, even though uh, we're sitting here like ragging on it. Yeah, (laughs) like we're like, we're like, oh, this is going to be awful. Our listeners are like, well, why would we tune in? No, guys, please, please, please tune in. Um, And don't forget, like write into us. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're noticing, what your thoughts are for the um for the upcoming finale, what would be your best outcome and, and, and all of that jazz. We really want to hear from you. Yeah. You can write to us at Lynn and Derek at gmail.com. That's L Y N N E and Derek D E R R I C K at gmail.com. Well, we thank you for joining us in this has been the fifth episode of Schmigadoonery, the number one podcast for reviewing and dissecting the new Apple TV show, Schmigadoon. If you enjoyed listening, please make sure to comment, like, and subscribe to us wherever you are listening. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else podcasts are found. We will be putting out weekly episodes every Monday. You can also watch the podcast on our YouTube page, Mosaics, that's M-O-S-A-I-X. Subscribe to us at Watch Mosaics across all social media platforms. Until next time, we'll see you next week.